If you would, uh, turn your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. We're taking a little bit of a break from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth during the month of July. And as you turn to Ruth chapter 1, Ruth is uh, right after the book of Judges, kind of the beginning of your, your Bible. It's before you get to First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, before you get to those books, and so it's kind of toward the beginning of your Bible. As you find Ruth chapter 1, uh, just to want to invite you to as Ben already did, but let me also invite you to come out this evening to Camp Good News as we'll be beginning a kind of a study on systematic theology, and I think that's a really important thing for believers to understand theology and what it is and how we are to articulate the great truths of the faith. So I encourage you to come out this evening and spend time opening God's Word together as we look at how to articulate our faith and how to understand the great deep truths of the Christian faith. Well, if you would please, if you're able to, uh, stand with me in honor of God's word. Uh, We're not going to read the whole chapter one of Ruth. We'll be looking at the entire chapter, and we'll we'll read it by the end of our time together. But as we stand together, let me just begin in verse 16, as Ruth responds to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth the Moabitess says this, beginning in verse 16. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. You may be seated. And God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning, work in our hearts as we strive to apply it. Let's pray. Father, as we, we think about the, the song that was just sung, and the many songs we've sung in, in worship this morning, we, we recognize that sometimes your blessings come through means that are uh, hard for us to understand. And the greatest path to sanctification is not always the, the path that we would choose, and yet it's the, the path that you've put us on. And so I, I pray that you would help us to realize that great truth this morning as we look at the life of Naomi here in Ruth chapter 1, and we pray that our hope would be set upon the Redeemer of whom we've sung this morning, that our hope would be set upon your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. When I was enjoying my second trip through the third grade, which is a different illustration, when I was enjoying my second time through the third grade as a a youngster, a very extraordinary thing happened to our family. My dad had started his own engineering firm, and it was kind of a tough go in the first year, and we were facing some financial difficulties, and it was no surprise when my dad sat my brother and me down and said, hey guys, just because of our financial situation right now, uh, we're not going to be able to allow you to continue to go to the Christian school that you've been attending. And my brother and I were understanding of that. We were very disappointed. This had been a very safe school for us. There had been some things that had happened in the public school that we kind of felt like we needed to be in the, the, the Christian school there for a period of time. And so we were disappointed that that opportunity was no longer there. But we understood that my parents were making the decision they thought was best for our family. So no surprise. What was surprising was a few days later when my dad sat my brother and myself down again. He said, "Uh, boys, we have some good news. 
someone at the school has been contacted about our need, and they are going to pay for your tuition this next year. Now, to a third grader, that was a, a mind-blowing concept. So what, what do you mean someone's going to pay for us? Do we know who they are? Do we need to thank them? We have no idea who they are. It's, it's possible they don't even know who we are. That was just crazy to me, that someone would see someone whom they had no close relationship with in need and provide for them out of their own finances. And I felt a great gratitude, first of all, to the school. I was grateful that San Antonio Christian School was, was mindful of our need and had contacted someone, so I was, I was grateful to them. But I also realized that they were kind of a conduit. They were allowing someone else to meet our needs. They were, they were kind of servicing this person so that they could be able to meet our needs. And then ultimately, even as a third grader, I realized that, that this person who was being so generous to our family was really a conduit of God's grace. And as a third grader, it was a very powerful thing that happened to our family, realizing that God cared for me, God loved me, and he was providing through the means of his saints an opportunity for me to continue to go to the school. I learned a lot about God's care and provision for me through the generosity of that anonymous individual or that family whose identity I will never know until eternity. The book of Ruth has a similar idea behind it. In the book of Ruth, we see that God's gracious love, God's gracious love is revealed through the extravagant kindness of his people. God's gracious love is revealed in the book of Ruth through the extravagant kindness of his people. God's people practice kindness, and as they practice kindness, they meet the needs of individuals who then recognize the redemption of God and the gracious love, steadfast love, of Yahweh God. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Ruth. Some people have speculated that it was the prophet Samuel. We're not sure who. We know that it was someone that wrote it after the time of David, or at least after David was anointed king. It was some time uh, after that period that the author sat down and, and wrote the book of Ruth. Uh, Goethe says that calls Ruth the loveliest complete work on a small scale. John MacArthur, as he talks about the book of Ruth, says, what Venus is to statuary and the Mona Lisa is to paintings, Ruth is to literature. Here in this short four-chapter book, we see characters of immense depth do extraordinary things. We see kindness. We see sacrifice. We see loss. We see heartache. We see God's provision. We see deep, rich theology in the book of Ruth. There's a Hebrew word that's a very difficult word for us to translate into English. And the Hebrew word is, is hesed. So how we pronounce it in English. It's H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And it's a very important word for us to understand as we look at the book of Ruth. It's a word that's translated using various English words, depending on where you find it in Scripture. Sometimes it's translated love. Sometimes it's translated loyalty. In the book of Ruth, the word is translated kindness. Kindness. The kindness that we see in the book of Ruth is a kindness that's 
a person chooses to show to another person, and it's a kindness that is costly. Over and over again in the book of Ruth, we're going to see people practicing extravagant kindness. We're going to see that, that Boaz is kind. We're going to see that, that Ruth is a kind person. And most importantly, we're going to see that Yahweh God is a kind, gracious God. In fact, here you kind of have this picture in your mind as we go through the, through the book of Ruth. We see kind of this theology that uh, hesed, uh, that is kindness, extravagant kindness, leads people to provide for other people, which leads to worship of God. Kindness leads to provision, leads to worship. As people encounter other people in need, they practice kindness. Those people who are provided for recognize ultimately that it's God providing for them, that Yahweh God is covering them with his wings, providing them protection, and they end in worship of God. That's what we're going to see over the next four weeks, Lord willing, as we look at the book of Ruth. Now this morning, this morning we have a little bit of a challenge ahead of us, okay? We're not going to have nice, neat three points and some applications that you walk out with and say, I've checked all the points off my bulletin, so now I, I know exactly what to do. Here in the book of Ruth, it's a story. It's, a, it's, a, it's an entire story contained in four chapters. And this morning, we're only looking at the first chapter. We're going to see the problem presented. And so you're going to walk out of here thinking, man, I've got a problem without a solution. No, I'll give you a little bit of a solution. But we're not going to talk a lot about the solution because that's found in chapters 2 through 4. Really, we're going to present a problem this morning. And what I hope that you, you do get out of our time together this morning is that as you, you walk out of here, your heart would consider how it should respond to, to people who find themselves in need. What sort of heart attitude should you have toward people who find themselves in need? Let me give you a couple of examples from my own life, and uh, these aren't examples that I'm necessarily, uh, I'm, these are examples I'm not proud of. Let me just go ahead and say that. One example is from whenever my wife and I had, had first gotten married, and we'd been married maybe a, a couple of months, and, and one evening, uh, you know, we don't have any children, uh, life is this grand honeymoon every evening, and uh, we decide to go get some ice cream because we can. And uh, we went out, and we went to this little, uh, this little ice cream shop that was right next to a, a, a supermarket. And so we, we go into this, this shopping center, and, and there's the ice cream store. And we begin walking to the ice cream store, and we're uh, confronted by a woman who appears to be homeless. And she said, excuse me, um, I'm, I'm very hungry. I would like some food. And I said, well, Absolutely, I'd, I'd love to provide you with some food. And she goes, great, and she walked into the ice cream store. I was thinking we were going to the supermarket, but she was thinking we were going to the ice cream store. And so I looked at Whitney, and I said, oh, that's all right. And so we walk into the ice cream store, and I believe Whitney and I ordered, you know, a little scoop of ice cream. And then this woman began to order. And uh, she ordered not just one or two scoops, but she ordered several scoops. In fact, as she walked in there, the guy behind the counter, I guess the owner of the store or whatever, said uh, they, they were engaged in a little conversation. I realized that she had been in there before trying to get some ice cream, and he had said no. And, and so she, as she came in there, they started arguing again. She goes, I'm with him. I'm with him. He's paying. He's paying. You're paying, right? And she looked at me demanding that I'm paying. I said, yeah, I'm paying. You're welcome. Uh, and, she, and, and, and then she began to berate the person that was 
fixing the ice cream. Put more on there. I want sprinkles. Just very demanding. Okay. Now, as she began to make demands, what did my heart begin to do? I began to be very judgmental toward this woman. And I began to become even very angry and resentful at her. How dare she make demands on me? And not proud of this, I even thought, this woman doesn't need to be eating any ice cream. She's way too big already. I can see why she became homeless. No self-control. And in my heart, I, I paid for her ice cream, but I was resentful and bitter and judgmental. I knew nothing of this woman's story, and yet I felt like I knew how she'd gotten in this place. A few years later, some men and, and I are at a, another woman's house, and she's also struggling financially. And as we talk to her about the things that she's going through, we see that she has a lot of fear, and she, she uh, knows what she needs to do in order to provide for herself, and, and yet she refuses over and over and over again to do the things that she knows she needs to do in order to provide for herself financially. And in my heart, how do I feel? How do I respond to that woman in my heart? There's a sense of frustration I feel as I talk to her. Just do it. Just do what you're supposed to do. All these, these problems could be solved if you just did what you were supposed to do. How does your heart react when you see people in need? My suggestion to you is that very often our heart response, our first initial heart response to people who are in need is one of, sometimes, of judgmental, a judgmental response and a resentful response. I want you to look, and if your Bibles aren't already already open, please turn them open to Ruth chapter 1. And I want you to open up your Bibles, and I want you to look at this story in Ruth chapter 1 as we see this problem presented. And I, and I want you to think about the appropriate heart response to a person who is in need. And I want us to first look at Naomi's heartache in verses 1 through 5. Naomi's heartache. We see in verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites, Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husbands. The narrator begins the story by telling us the time and the setting. He says that it took place in the time of the judges. This refers to the time right after Joshua and the people conquered the land, the promised land, and before the time that the monarchy was established with Samuel anointing King Saul. It's a, a period of some 400 years or so. It took place during that time frame. Now, the period of Judges was a time of very dark spiritual, a very dark spiritual time for the people of Israel. 
You may remember studying the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, we see the cycle that happens again and again, kind of a downward spiral. There's the people's sin. Then God brings his judgment upon them because of their sin. And then they repent. And as they repent, God establishes a deliverer, a judge to restore them. And then they're restored. And then there's again the sin. And then there's again a judgment, the servitude of, that they fall into servitude. And then there's salvation through this judge over and over again. And as you go through the book of Judges, you see this sin spiral and spiral until you come to the end of Judges and some things take place that are just uh, unimaginable in their horror. That's the time period in which this takes place. As the reader is reading the book of Ruth and they see that this is in the time of the judges, it's no surprise that there's a famine. Remember what the Lord said in Leviticus 26. God says, if you do not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic. And he goes on and talks about the things that are going to happen to them. I'm going to set my face against you, verse 17, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you. And that's exactly what happened in the book of Judges. And he also says in verse 20, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. And so when the narrator of the book of Ruth tells us that this story took place in the time of the judges and there was a famine, the reader would say, well, of course there was. This was a very bleak time in Israel's history. Imagine if I began a story, I said, in the days of the Great Depression, a man lost his job. So, well, yeah, of course, the Great Depression is a bleak time. You can tell that the, the setting of that story is in a bleak period of time. So here, there's a famine during the time of the judges. And then the narrator draws our attention to a family a man in Bethlehem in Judah, and he went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, as you hear that he went to the country of Moab, there should be a little bit of an unease. Now, the, the person telling us the story doesn't say good or bad, but you would know that a person traveling from God's promised land to live among these idolaters in the land of Moab could not be making a great decision. He travels there, and he travels there with his family. This man we read, has a wife and two children. His name is Elimelech, and his wife is Naomi. The names of his, two, of his sons were Milan and Chilion, and they were Ephrathites. They were part of a prominent family in Bethlehem. And they traveled from Bethlehem, where there are a prominent family, and they travel as sojourners to this land of Moab. Things are bleak, and they get worse. It says that they remained there. They didn't leave, they stay in this foreign land. And then, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, dies. And Naomi, here in this foreign land, is left with two sons. And so what's been a bleak picture gets even more bleak. But there's a little bit of a ray of hope in verse 4. There's, they, these, these sons take Moabite wives. Now, the phrase that uh, the writer uses here, the word took, is not a very nice word. Sometimes it refers to this kind of taking by force. So you would see, it seems like the narrator is saying this wasn't a, the greatest situation, but again, he's, he's not uh, casting judgment. He's not giving a long narrative on the rightness or wrongness of taking an, a Moabite wife here, but he's using a word that, that isn't normally the word you use to refer to a happy marriage. He's just saying they, they were here in this land and they, they took Moabite wives. They became connected spiritually to the Moabite people. 
name of one is Orpah, the name of the other is Ruth. And so now there's a little bit of hope in the narrative. Naomi's been in this land, her husband's died, but she has these two sons. And these two sons, they've married, and now that they're married, the, the family line can continue, and these two sons can continue to provide for Naomi. And so it's, it's not an ideal situation, but there we are, there's some hope, and then what happens? Oops. The two sons die. And with, or actually first, you see that they remain there ten years. That's a long time to be married without any children, isn't it? You can imagine year one, they're very hopeful. Year three, year five, there's still some hope. And then year seven and eight and nine go by, and now they're getting very concerned. Year 10 occurs, no children, and then death. And look at verse five, and we see something very, very interesting. I hope you notice this. Malon and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Whose focus, who, who's, who does the narrator place his focus on in verse 5? He doesn't say uh, the two sons died so that Ruth and Orpah and Naomi were all widowed now. His concern is Naomi. The narrator's concern is Naomi. In fact, what I want you to notice as we go through the book of Ruth together, every chapter, every event is somehow related back ultimately, not to Ruth, not to Boaz, not to Orpah, but related back to this woman, Naomi. The narrator's concern is ultimately her. And now we see Naomi, and we see her in this foreign land without a husband, without sons, without grandchildren. That's Naomi's heartache. Now, as you see Naomi here in chapter 1, verse 5, how do you view her? Bad things have happened to Naomi. How do you view her? One response is to say this. And this is a, a response that commentators have had throughout the history of the Jewish faith. One response is to say this, Naomi and her family should never have left Bethlehem. And whenever Elimelech dies, that's God's hand of judgment upon this family. And whenever the sons die, that's God's hand of judgment upon these sons for marrying Moabite women. That was a, a, a position that Jewish commentators took as they talked about the book of Ruth in ancient times. They should have never left, and so Naomi finds herself in this situation because of her own sin. Another response and this is the response I believe that the narrator is taking here, and the response that other people in the book of Ruth are going to take. The other response is to say, here is a woman. Through whatever circumstances have happened in the past, and again, it's very interesting that as we read verses 1 through 5, there is very little editorial comment. He's simply stating what's happened. 
The other response is to say, you know, here's a person who has extraordinary needs. And my goal, as I see this person whose heart is aching, is to practice extraordinary kindness so I can minimize the suffering that they're in. That's the right heart response as we see one in suffering, as we see them encountering heartache. Naomi's heartache is profound here, and there are two responses that a person can have as they see a person encounter heartache and be left destitute. One response is a harsh, judgmental, resentful response. The other is a heart of gracious kindness. I'll tell you a story as we leave Naomi here in verse 5 as a widow childless, about a young lady named Rebecca that I read about this past week. Rebecca, if you encountered her today, you would find her living on the street. And if you tried to take Rebecca into your home and said, hey, or into, into a home and said, hey, we want to provide for you, we want to give you a safe place to live, we want to get you off the street, we want to help you out, she would tell you no, and maybe not that nicely. And as you looked at her pattern of life, you would see that she was a drug addict. You would see that she was a junkie. You would see that she was engaged in things that were completely self-destructive. And you might be tempted to say, you know what, that Rebecca, she's doing what she's doing, and that's why she's where she's at, and there's nothing I can do for her. But as you found out more about Rebecca's history, what we'd find is this, that as a young girl, she was abused terribly by her father. Then her father left them, and her mother brought another man into her life who continued to abuse her. And one day, at the age of 13, Rebecca told her mom, Mom, I can't continue to live like this. And her mom said, fine, leave. And Rebecca left, and she found the streets, and she lived on the streets, and she found people that would provide her with things that would take her mind away from her pain. You say, well, She's making bad decisions. Well, absolutely, of course she is. But listen to, what, listen to what she said. Listen to what Rebecca says. She says, if I get through the day, then great. And if I don't, it doesn't matter. No big deal. No one's going to miss me anyway. When we encounter people in need, when we encounter people who have undergone heartache, There'll be a time for dealing with the circumstances that got them there. When we encounter people who are going through times of incredible heartache and pain and suffering, our response should be one of gracious kindness. Hearing their story and desiring to do all that we can to minimize their suffering. That's Naomi's heartache. That's Naomi's heartache. It's important for us to focus on the heartache, not speculate about the conditions that brought her there. Let's look next, though, at Naomi's provision we see in verse 6. A provision that a sovereign God begins to to give her even before she's aware of it. Verse 6 tells us that Naomi gets up. She arose with her daughters-in-laws to return from the country 
of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And so she's there in Moab. She's lost all her support structure, and she hears while she's there in Moab, which is not was not very far away from Bethlehem, by the way, it was a short distance. She hears there that God has visited his people again, provided them with food, and so she decides to go back to her hometown. She set out from that place, verse 7, where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, now she's going to give three speeches here, three direct addresses to her daughters-in-law, and this is the first one. This is speech number one. She says, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, that is, may Yahweh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That word kindly there is a word that we talked about earlier, hesed. It's, it's this extravagant kindness. May, may God deal kindly with you. May God show his extravagant kindness to you as you have shown it to me to the, and to the dead. And may the Lord, may Yahweh, grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And so Naomi gives them this this kind of parting blessing. Hey, it's time for you guys to go, you gals, to go back to your mother's house, get married again. And may Yahweh God, the God that I worship, may he deal extravagantly kindly with you. That's my, my, my prayer for you. I've got nothing I've got nothing to give you. I have no provisions that I can protect you with. I've got no uh, wing to, 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 to put over you, to offer you any sort of security. And so go back to your mother's homes, get married again, and my, my prayer for you is that Yahweh God will show you the kindness that I can't. That's speech number one. Here's the first response to the daughters-in-law. Cry a whole bunch. Cry, cry, cry. Then verse 10, they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. They're saying, no, no, we're committed to you. Our identity is in you. And then here's her second speech. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Turn back, my daughters. Go back. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? In other words, the way the custom of Israel, according to God's law, what they were to do is whenever a, a man would die, his brother would provide children through the widow that remained and care for her. And what Naomi is saying is, is I'm, I'm empty here. I got nothing. I, I have no sons left to give you, to provide for you. If you come with me, you're making a, a big mistake. Turn back. If, this is middle of verse 12, if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, in other words, if I got married right away and began having babies, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying all that time? And this is, this is very important to see where she's at spiritually. She says, no, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And as she says those words in her second speech, we gain a very important insight into her spiritual condition. As she looks at what has happened in her life, as she sees the way that God has taken away her 
husband and her sons, she comes to this theological conclusion. She says, okay, I know that God is sovereign, therefore God is against me. He's put his hand against me, and her response to that is bitterness. She's bitter. Well, verse 14, here's the second response. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. Cry, cry, cry. And then there's two different responses that the daughter-in-laws give. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and begins to leave. Ruth refuses to do so, holding on to her even more tightly. And now we see Naomi's third speech. It's very short. She says, look, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. Perhaps you can still see Orpah as she's walking off in the distance. And Naomi says to Ruth, kind of pushes her away from her, says, Ruth, look, your sister-in-law is making a, a wise decision here. Your She's, she's going back to her people. She's, and listen to this too. She's going back to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. Kind of a very interesting phrase for Naomi to give here. She's talking about Yahweh God, him showing his extravagant kindness. And yet as Orpah leaves, going back to worship her gods, Naomi seems to show little concern for that. And then Ruth gives her third response to Naomi's third speech. And it's one of the most powerful passages in all the scriptures in all scripture, of covenant commitment to Yahweh God and his people. Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. And then this is Ruth's commitment. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will go lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Then she says, may Yahweh do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. Ruth has made a decision, it appears in this text, that Naomi hasn't come to yet. Ruth's commitment is to a Yahweh God, and she's showing that commitment by committing herself to Naomi. Not out of bitterness, not out of despair, but trusting in a sovereign Yahweh God. That's Naomi's provision we're going to see, even though she doesn't realize it yet. Third thing we see here, then, is Naomi's bitterness. Naomi's bitterness, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. There's kind of a full circle here, isn't there? The chapter begin with, Elimelech and his family leaving Bethlehem, the chapter as it presents this problem to us ends with them returning to Bethlehem, which ironically enough means house of bread. They come back to Bethlehem and it says they come into Bethlehem and the whole town is stirred up. They're excited. And the women said, is this Naomi? You know, it's been 15, 20 years since Naomi's been here. She comes back into the town, and, and everyone's going, I think Naomi's back, and there's someone with her, and, 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 she, and the, is it Naomi? And Naomi responds, and she says, do not call me Naomi. Naomi is a name that means pleasant, and as you perhaps know, 
in this culture, identification and naming meant a, a great deal. Over and over again in Scripture, you see that people naming things and having some significance and reminding people of things. And here, in Naomi's response to the people as she comes into the town, I believe we see one of the, the central themes of Ruth. We see the, the big problem that's presented in the book of Ruth. Naomi rejects her name that means pleasant. She says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Look at verses 20 through 21 again. There's a lot of deep theology here that Naomi is, is giving, and, and some of it is, is exactly right. I mean, she is exactly right to recognize that, that God is an almighty, sovereign God. She's right that she went away full. Remember, she's from a, a prominent family and had many provisions. She's right that she went away full, and she's right that she came back empty. And, beloved, although we may not wish to acknowledge this sometimes, she's right in that God's hand was the hand that sovereignly appointed those things to happen. It wasn't like God was sitting around going, oh, Naomi, I was supposed to watch Naomi and her family. Oh, nuts, they lost everything. Oh, well, next one I'll get, you know. God's sovereign hand is in all of that. And Naomi is right to recognize that God's sovereign hand is upon that. And yet, Naomi responds the way that so many people who have physical needs respond. She responds with rejection of God's goodness by rejecting the idea of God's goodness. reading a CNN article from earlier this year, and it, it said that even many atheists struggle with anger at God. <laughs> many atheists will say, as you talk to them about their spiritual life or about their relationship with God, they'll describe it as one of, of anger. I'm, I'm angry with God. As people go through difficult circumstances, so often the temptation is to look at a sovereign God and say, I, I'm angry at God, I'm angry that God allows this to happen. You know, I, I'm angry that God has allowed my spouse to act the way that he or she acts. I'm angry that my parents aren't the parents I would like them to be. I'm angry at my siblings. I, I'm angry at my boss. I'm, I'm angry, ultimately, at God for allowing me to be in these circumstances. Now, as we look at the book of Ruth over the next four weeks, what I want you to understand is this. Anger at God and bitterness are real spiritual problems that those who are in need may struggle with. And the problem in the book of Ruth is not just about Ruth needing a husband. It's not just about Naomi and Ruth needing food. The problem in the book of Ruth is a problem of bitterness at God. And Hesed, extravagant kindness, is going to be needed by 
needed to be shown to Ruth and Naomi, to Naomi especially, so that Naomi can get over her bitterness and, through God's sovereign grace working in her heart, Naomi can be cured of her bitterness and can respond in worship of Yahweh. Naomi needs what? Naomi needs a redeemer. We're going to see that God in his graciousness provides Naomi, who has great physical needs, with a redeemer. What's Naomi's reality? The last thing we see here, Naomi's reality. Naomi's reality we see in verse 22. says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Naomi is coming back with Ruth the Moabite, and it's interesting, every time or often as we see Ruth mentioned here in Ruth, she's going to be referred to as the Moabite, the Moabite, this foreigner. As you think about it in the Old Testament, there are, there are several groups that God calls his people to show special attention to. God calls his people to show special care and compassion toward the foreigner, toward the poor, and toward the widow orphan, those who've been bereft of family members. Naomi's reality is that she and Ruth together fit every one of those categories, don't they? They're widows, Ruth is a foreigner, and both of them are impoverished. In fact, those last few words or the last sentence there is very telling. They're coming into Bethlehem at, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, what happens after the harvest? They're in a very short time frame before they are completely lacking of any ability to have food and sustenance, apart from someone showing them extravagant kindness. What is our heart response toward people who are encountering conditions that seem hopeless? Is our heart a response of judgmental, well, they brought it on themselves. I'll help them this time, but man, these people, they need to get a job, work harder. This person made some bad choices in life, and, and that's why they find themselves where they are. Or is our response to the gnomas of the world a response of extravagant kindness? Recognizing that there are unique spiritual needs that those who are hurting have. There are unique spiritual struggles that the person who is hurting has. And our goal is to point them to their redeemer. To the person of Jesus Christ. That can provide the ultimate release from suffering. Jesus Christ appears in every page of the Old Testament and he appears very clearly through the book of Ruth. And what I want you to see as we go through the book of Ruth that it is ultimately Jesus Christ who provides the redemption that those who are physically impoverished need. Ultimately all physical problems have spiritual manifestations. And perhaps this morning 
Perhaps this morning you've struggled with how to respond to people in need, and, and God's word to you is to, to cause you to look more deeply at those who are hurting and say, look, I have, a, I have a desire, I have this passion to show them the same extravagant kindness that God has shown to me. I want to show hesed, I want to show extravagant kindness towards those who are in need and point them to my Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Or maybe this morning you are the hurting. You are the one who's had heartache. God has, has seemingly taken things from you. And as you think about the condition you find yourself in this morning, you're angry. There's kind of this, this bitterness. And, and, and God's call on you is don't let your heart become hardened. God has provided you with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And we're going to find out more about Jesus Christ as we go through the book of Ruth. But God has provided you with the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So you can, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, be forgiven of your sins, be forgiven of your trespasses, and God can provide to you that thing that you need more than anything else, God's righteousness. And perhaps God is allowing you to experience tough times now in these areas of pain and suffering so that he can provide to you that treasure that is beyond price, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm excited for us as we continue to go through the book of Ruth, Lord willing, next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have through faith in him. We pray you would cause our hearts to be very sensitive to the people that you've put in our lives, for us to love them, for us to, to practice extravagant kindness to them so that they can be provided for and you can work within their hearts to cause them to worship you, Yahweh God. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.